Like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, business in the knowledge economy, sponsored by Sage, transforming the way people think and work so their organizations can thrive. I'm Ed Kless with my friend and co-host Ron Baker. And Ron, on today's show, we have our interview with John Warillo. Yeah, Ed, I'm really looking forward to it. And happy Lunar New Year. Lunar New Year. Excellent. <laughs> yes. that Well, because it's, it's, it's Chinese New Year as well, right? Yeah, I think so. That's how they measure it. So, well, cool. Well, let me get to the particulars and we'll get John right on because we have been looking forward to this day for quite some time. We've been following John's work for the better part of two years, I think, maybe three since we've been starting to get into subscription economy. John is the founder of the Value Builder System, a simple software for building the value of a company used by thousands of businesses worldwide. He is the author of the best-selling book, Built to Sell, Creating a Business That Can Thrive Without You, which is recognized by both Fortune and Inc. magazines as one of the best business books uh, books of 2011. His next book, which is the one that came to Ron and myself's uh, uh, mind first was The Automatic Customer, Creating a Subscription Business for Any Industry. This was released by Random House in February of 2015, translated into eight languages. And his latest book, which we'll perhaps talk a little bit about, released in 2021, is The Art of Selling Your Business, Winning Strategies and Secret Hacks for Exiting on Top. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, John Murillo. Thanks, guys. Great to be with you. Well, I'm going to start with subscription. Let's dive full in. Subscribers are better than customers. Explain. <laughs> sure. Well, look, I mean, uh, your subscribers pay automatically, right? You know, you, you get them to opt in once and, and they pay in perpetuity. Whereas obviously transactional customers, you got you to gotta run on the hamster wheel. You got to do the work, uh, submit the invoice, and then try to kind of fill the top of the funnel again. So they're also more likely to buy more from you. That's something that, that, uh, that a lot of people don't know is that once somebody subscribes to your service, uh, it makes them infinitely more likely to buy other things from you. So for example, if you look at Amazon Prime and compare Prime subscribers to the average Amazon customer, Prime subscriber will spend about three times more with Amazon each year than a non-Prime subscriber. And so the act of subscribing makes you more inclined to buy other things from the same company. And that was pre-COVID numbers. I'm sure it's even like <laughs> higher <laughs> since then. <laughs> yes, exactly right. <laughs> but uh, interesting. I want to, to to pick on this a little bit. One of the things that that Ron and I have talked about in the professional industry is getting people to change from using the term client to using customer because of the nature of the fact that, you know, custom comes from the word custom. It's their custom to repeat business with you. Is their custom when they came into town to stop by your store? But do you like the term subscription? subscriber or even member better for those reasons? Do you think changing that language has an impact? That's interesting. You know, there, there is a little bit of baggage around subscriptions right now, right? So subscriptions, we all think back to the, the you know, the, the $1 CDs that we used to get. You, you pay for a dollar to get 10 The CDs Hotel California, you literally got 
the hotel California and you could never get out. <laughs> exactly. You'll never leave. Yeah. So there's a little bit of baggage around the word subscriptions. Uh, so look, I think, I think you can, you can use members. Uh, and I think you're, you're right to use customers. I think the word client has some baggage because it, it does imply custom. It implies very much a professional services organization. And when it comes to the value of that business, they can often be discounted because an acquirer will look at a business and say, if they're, you know, the assets go up and down the, you know, the, the, uh, the elevator every night, there's not much value there. And one of the ways they will, uh, they will identify you as a consultancy that is dependent on human beings is if you refer to your, your clients as such, whereas there's a whole language that makes your company seem less like a service business, which can actually help to increase its value or perceived value in the eyes of an acquirer. Yeah, that's what we felt too, especially with the, this term customer. But I'm I'm starting to like member better. I, you know, I, what I think back is to that American Express ad campaign from, I don't know, maybe 20 years ago. Membership has its privileges. That's right. And member since, right? There's that, yes. that, that loyalty effect of being a member since. So yeah, I look, I like, I like member. I think it, I think it's got, it's got great connotations. So what are some of the key mindset shifts that a business owner needs to change when they're going to a subscription model from a product-based model, let's say? I mean, the biggest one is going to be that you're capturing the value of your customer relationship over time as opposed to in one transaction. And so, for example, you know, in the old days when we used to buy Microsoft uh, Office, you know, you'd go into a staple store, you'd pull the box off the shelf and you'd install the CD. Like I'm, I'm dating myself, but that's the way we used to buy it. Right. And when you, when they bought it from Staples, you know, Staples bought, you know, wrote a check to Microsoft for a couple hundred bucks and Microsoft got that revenue, but you owned the software forever. It was called in perpetuity or perpetual licensing. Now, of course, we all subscribed Office 365 and they get, much more in a lifetime value of a subscriber, like multiples more than the, what they used to get when, they, when you bought the CDs, but you're capturing that over many years. And so you've got to think about the relationship in a long sort of lens. And, and you've also got to think about your cash flow because unlike in the old days where you got all of your revenue up front, now you're getting more revenue, but it's over time. And so you've got to think about your cash flow model to ensure you don't go in the deficit in the short term. It's it's a much better lifetime value over 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 the long run, but in the short run it can uh, it, it can cause a cash flow crunch if you're not thinking about it in the right way. You know, I, I listened to an interview uh, in preparation for the show that you did uh, probably four or five years ago now, and you were critical of Microsoft and how they were rolling this stuff out. Do you think they've, they've improved on, yeah, on what they've done with Office 365 or are they still struggling a bit in your view? I do. I think they've improved a tremendous amount. You see, see, when Microsoft moved to subscriptions, they had the challenge of having all their legacy value-added resellers, right? Like Microsoft, unlike, say, a Dell or an Apple who went to direct to their, their customers and had a direct relationship from the beginning, Microsoft got scale by going through the channel, going through VARs and VAPs and resellers and all these third-party integrators. And as a result, they never knew their customers. And so it's kind of like the car dealerships right now trying to compete with Tesla. You know, you've got your Ford, you've got an enormous amount built, you know, invested into those dealer relationships. 
And Tesla's coming in and scooping all those customers because they're not beholden to this legacy business model. And so when Microsoft launched 365 and all their subscription offerings, they were trying to be half pregnant, right? So we still have the VAR, VAR channel. We still love our channel partners, but at the same time, come buy from us directly. And you can't be half pregnant. I think you have to go all in when it comes to subscriptions to really move the needle. I think you've, you've, got, to, you've got to be all in on this, on this business model. Yeah, that was certainly one of our, our challenges at Sage, too. I mean, we, we sell business software a, as well. Um, one, one of the things, and honestly, I don't know where Ron and I picked up this line from. It may have been your book, and as I was just flipping through, I couldn't find the exact line. But our mantras have been that we need to price the portfolio in the subscription model, not price the customer or even the service. So, because what you're really looking to do is you're trying to spread the risk pool. It's almost insurance, right? Across your entirety of the pool. And I would want, want to get your comments on that. Did, did we steal that line from you or is that not something you remember writing in the book? I know six years ago, so. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I don't remember that specific line, but the, the sentiment is absolutely right. You want to be taking the long view on a customer relationship. And one of the, the key metrics that most subscription companies use as their sort of primary North Star is going to be your lifetime value of a customer, uh, customer lifetime value, how much revenue or even contribution you get from a customer over time. I'll give you a real life example to bring this to life because I think it might help. There's a company called Age Bloom that I wrote about in the book. They mm -hmm. do subscription-based flowers. So, the old transaction business model of flowers. Here we are, Valentine's Day in a couple of days. <laughs> tough, tough business model, right? And very lumpy, very seasonal. You know, the flowers die in the vine as soon as you cut them. H. Bloom came around and said, we're going to sell flowers on subscription. And they identified that hotels buy flowers regularly. And so they sold a subscription to flowers. Well, the average transaction, when I looked at it last in a flower store is less than 50 bucks in America. The average lifetime value of an H. Bloom subscriber, by contrast, in the last time I checked in with the founders was about $4,500. That's the difference between a transaction business model where you're on the hamster wheel having to sell every day, every day, every day to a subscription model where it's like the, the sale that keeps on giving, right? You sell one hotel, a subscription to flowers every two weeks, you make another sale. They're not having to transact every two weeks. You're just doing it automatically. And so that's the, that's the promise of the subscription model and why customer lifetime value is so, so critical. But you can even move that to uh, what I love th talking about this stuff is because people think, well, there's always, for some reason, my business can't be subscription, right? So you said, okay, so you just gave it a great example of selling flowers. But what if I'm a, what if I am a retail flower shop? I can't be subscription, can I? And I think, well, of course you can. Maybe, you know, you could, you could sell uh, some subscriptions. And one of the things I, I like that you talk about, it's not about becoming a subscription model so much as it is expanding into one. Talk a little bit about that, that, that difference. I think it's a subtle but very important point. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think it becomes everything about the way you go to market. So it's not just this weird appendage that you sometimes offer. It becomes all-encompassing on, on what you do. And I think the secret to identifying a subscription model, and you alluded to the idea that there's a lot of pent-up frustration or, or hesitancy, I think, among business owners who say, no, no, it would never work in a law firm. Or it would never work <laughs> in an accounting firm. Those sorts of sentiments. And I think 
I think it's very natural. What we need to do as a first step is, is niche down. And, and so the, the, the biggest mistake most people make when they're trying to figure out their subscription model is to try, to try to kind of boil the ocean and try to create a subscription for all their customers. And that's a recipe for a diluted offering. You know, at H. Bloom, they didn't say, we want a subscription to flowers to everyone who buy flowers, whether you're buying them on Valentine's Day, Mother's Day, graduation, funeral, wedding, whatever. They said, no, no, there's this very, very small niche within the flower buying population. They are high-end four and five-star hotels. We're going to create a subscription just for them. And that I think is the, is the, is the most important first step. If you're trying to, if you're racking your brain thinking, I couldn't figure this out in my industry, the first step is to stop trying to figure it out for all your customers. First, segment them into the reasons they buy from you and then start to brainstorm what, what kind of recurring model you could, you could create for them. I love that. Uh, well, as we would say in America, niche down, but I like niche much better. Yeah. Uh, so, but, but, <laughs> but, uh, but, I, but I think that's a, that's a, that's a great phrase, uh, niche down uh, to, to try to get, get to where you want to be. Well, this is flying by as I knew it would. We are already uh, up against our first break. Want to remind you that you can get a hold of Ron or me by sending an email to ask TSOE at verisage.com. Of course, the website is the soul of enterprise where you can see show notes as well as previews to upcoming shows. But but right now, a word from our sponsor. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. Have you ever listened to an advertisement for a book so many times that you question the existence of God? Me too. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I recorded the advertisement for Ron and Ed's book, The Soul of Enterprise Dialogues on Blah 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 Whatever, and four years later, we're all tired of it, especially me. But thankfully, there's a solution. For just $10 a month, you never have to hear my voice again. For a commercial-free version of The Soul of Enterprise, go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe now. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. tuned into the soul of enterprise with ron baker and ed class to find out more about our show visit us on the web at the soul of you can also chat with us on twitter using hashtag ask tsoe now back to the soul of enterprise well welcome back everybody we're here with the author of the automatic customer creating a subscription business in any industry john warlow and john i wanted to ask you you know i i by the way, I loved your book. I, th- I thought your book was excellent. I mean, you lay out the nine subscription models, which was absolutely beautiful. 
You even gave a little bit of a history of, about how European map publishers were the first to really offer subscription, which I found fascinating. But why do you think the subscription renaissance is happening now? I mean, you mentioned the Columbia Record House, which ended up filing bankruptcy. I still think they're charging me, by the way. But um, wh- why do you think th- this subscription golden age is happening now? What are the- well, I th- yeah, I mean, I think a couple of things. Number one is, you know, the internet has made everything available uh, in 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 real time, and and in many cases, there is no need to have physical distribution, right? So you see the advent of things like Netflix, uh, and and now all the streaming channels associated with that. So content is now obviously available in real time. And I think the other piece of the, that we can't forget about it is it has not been that long since the billing platforms have been created. All of the recurring models that basically that is the plumbing of all these companies, companies like Zwar and Chargeify, like these are the the behind the scenes guts that nobody really talks about. But these these things enable the subscription economy. So I think I think there's a a confluence of technology innovations that over the last 20 years have made that the business model so much more viable. And then of course software as a category has moved fully into the SaaS or software as a service model. And frankly, the valuations are insane when you look at the company's valuations that that uh, that they're training at relative to transactional business models. I think a lot of non-transaction, non-subscription companies look at those recurring revenue uh, companies uh, jealously, like with envy that they're enjoying these really high valuation multiples. I'll tell you a quick story. I did a I did a podcast with a guy named Rob Walling who started a, a little software company called Drip. They do email marketing. And, and, and it was right after I did a podcast with a guy who had a $15 million business that he sold for about 25% of one year's revenue. So that's the kind of number I had in my mind when I interviewed Rob. And I said, what was Drip worth when you went to sell it? And he said, well, we, we were only $2 million in revenue. But we were looking at offers between nine and twelve times revenue, <laughs> and I mean, it was such a stark black and white difference that it, you know, it's it's just it's just illustrative of the total disconnection on valuation between a recurring model versus a transaction model. So I think a lot of a lot of a lot of companies in, in a variety of industries have looked at that and said, I want a piece of that. Sure, sure. You know, you wrote that nothing has been as successful in getting people to shop in new product lines. And what I love about this model is it, it does put a premium on the customer relationship experience, innovation. It kind of bakes into the model. And I mean, you're constantly delighting the customer. You have to constantly exceed their expectations, don't you? You do because the customer lifetime value that we talked about before the break is the, is the probably the most important uh, sort of goalpost for subscription-based operators. And the thing that determines that the most is going to be your churn. And so what you need to think about when it comes to reducing churn and therefore increasing your lifetime value of a customer is how you treat a subscriber in the first 30 days. There's this thing that subscription company operators call onboarding, which is kind of a techie term, but it, it applies very much to everyone who wants to use the subscription business model. It refers to that first 30 days, how well you achieve kind of bet in customer adoption is everything. So I'll give you an example. 
uh, there's a company called Constant Contact. They do email marketing software. You may have seen some of their stuff. They compete with uh, all kinds of email marketing platforms, Aweber being one. When they first started out, they were really dropping the ball when it came to onboarding customers. They were a bunch of engineers and they took the philosophy of onboarding like an engineer would, right? So the engineer would say, okay, we're going to send an email. So you, you subscribe to Constant Contact as a small business owner. And the engineers would say, well, the first thing that they need to do is upload their database uh, so that we can send them an email. And the small business owners who subscribe would get to the first step in the process during the free trial period. And it would say, just go ahead and upload your CSV file. And the flower shop owner or the car dealership owner says, uh, what's a CSV file? <laughs> and I don't know how to map these fields to the columns. and I, It's a mess, right? And so they would unsubscribe or they would attrite, churn effectively. And it was a big, big you know, problem for constant contact. And so they sat down and thought about it more intuitively like a customer would. And they said, what we really need to do is move that speed bump to the end of the onboarding process. And so they changed it from a who, what, when onboarding process to a what, who, when. And what I mean by that is the first thing you now do when you subscribe to Constant Contact is they invite you to build your first email newsletter. Fantastic. You're a law firm. Well, look at this. We've got 12 law firm templates right over here. They all look beautiful. Why don't you just pick one of those and, they, and, the, and, the, and the law firm owner looks at it and says, wow, what a beautiful template. And I can just put my email in here and so forth. And they start to build the email in front of them. As they continue to use the software, their emotional connection to it deepens and deepens and deepens to a point where they're ready to submit and send the email newsletter to their customers. That's when they now invite the customer to upload their CSV file. But that change now has given them the relationship equity to draw from to go through the hassle of figuring out how to upload the CSV file. It's, it's an example, and they dramatically ch cut their churn as a result of that change. And so it's just an example of of the onboarding, the first 30 days of a subscriber's journey with you is, is when the rubber hits the road. That's when you build the lifetime value of your customer or it, you lay the groundwork for their, their churn very, very quickly. Yeah, yeah, because you got to develop them into that habit of using you, right, and accessing exactly. you and make it part of their life. I love how you say communicate like a giddy lover, but if you do that too much, you can be too needy and annoying. <laughs> but that was a great analogy. Um, yeah. I'm going to take your subtitle to heart, creating a subscription business in any industry, because we've been trying to do this, as, as we said before, we went live in the CPA, legal, consulting, advertising uh, agency space. And I think the model is the concierge or direct primary care medical practice that I, I don't know if you're familiar with this. I know you're in Canada, but throughout the United States now, there's about 14,000 of these general physicians that work in this practice where they have member subscribers paying them anywhere from, you know, like a cell phone bill a month or maybe a cable package a month, uh, for just access to their doctor, telemedicine, same-day appointments, house visits, you name it. And it's just basically saying, look, you're covered for all your health needs. Anything that we're capable of doing. Now, if they have to go to a specialist or something, that, that would be separate. Their insurance might kick in. But I think that's the model, John. And that model's been around since 1996. Real smart team doctor from the Seattle Sonics founded this company called MD Squared. 
Do you think this subscription model is possible in the professions? Oh, yeah, because I've seen it firsthand. And I absolutely agree that the concierge model is one of the ways that a professional services company can apply it. We call it, by the way, the front of the line model, where you're effectively allowing owners or your customers to jump to the front of the queue because they are a subscriber. They get preferred treatment as, as, as a result of that. So that's one of the models I've seen applied to professional services. Another is the mastermind model, where if you've got a deep subject matter expertise as a professional services provider, let's say you're an expert at working with uh, graphic design studios. You've got a deep subject matter expert on how to create a more profitable graphic design studio. Well, you could create a mastermind of graphic design studio owners that pay you on a subscription basis. The other one I've seen a lot in professional services is benchmarking. So benchmarking is data that allows a professional services provider to, uh, to provide insight to their customers. Let me give you an example. If you're an advertising agency and you're on the sell, do business model, the transaction business model, the corner, like the, you know, the, the treadmill to nowhere, you could start offering your subscribers brand equity data right? So data on a monthly basis on the value of their brand, the adoption level of their brand, uh, social media buzz about their brand, that kind of benchmarking data, how they're doing relative to their competitors in terms of things like awareness, consideration. That's a very subscriptionized type of service, which gives them the excuse to reach out to their customers on a regular cadence. And you're like, why would I do that when I sell million-dollar advertising campaigns and I could only sell $10,000 benchmarking data? The reason is it gets you in your client's office giving them paid information they want on a regular cadence. And that's when you're going to discover the five or six other projects that you want to sell them. So anything that you can benchmark, if you do SEO, search engine optimization services, you can benchmark your cost per click and provide a report on a monthly basis. If you do brand research, obviously you can do you know, brand equity studies, anything where there is a, a data component to it and you can benchmark your clients relative to their competitors, I think is very, very, very fertile soil for a subscription offering. Right. You know, you mentioned the front of the line model in, in terms of this concierge practice. I want to ask you about this too, because I also think it's tapping into your convenience model and your peace of mind model. And I think those are two areas that professional firms completely underinvest in. We, you don't realize how good you feel. I mean, I remember talking to Jonathan Stark. He's got a concierge doctor. He's never used him in 10 years. He said, but I know if I need him, he's there. He'll be right there for me. And he says, and I'm glad, I, I gladly pay for that. And it's kind of like insurance, isn't it? It absolutely is. And, and again, we are, we are, uh, we are apt to protect our downside, right? So, to avoid pain, we pay a huge premium in many, many cases. And this is the, the basis of the entire insurance industry. Well, if you offer something like a front-of-the-line offering, whereby as a, as a gold client of your subscription offering, you provide preferred access to your thinking, uh, expedited access to your services. I know a dentist, for, for example, who has discovered there are hours in his week that that are really, really sought after for cleaning in the 
because they didn't conflict with people's work hours and so forth. Well, he only makes those hours available to his subscribers, the people who pay for their relationship on an ongoing basis. And so we can all think of how we would apply this to our world, but it's basically saying, I mean, anybody who's taking the kids to Disney World knows this, right? You get the fast pass and the kids can jump the front of the queue. It's the same thing. People will pay a premium if you can save them time and give them access to something they wouldn't ordinarily have. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, John, this is just flying by, but this is great. Thank you so much. And folks, I'd like to remind you, if you want to contact Ed or me, send us an email to asktsoe at verisage.com and check us out at patreon.com slash tsoe, which uh, is our subscription show and you can hear it without listening having to listen to the great kite and now our patreon show is sponsored by 90 minds be kind to your mind hire one check them out at 90minds.com and now a word from our sponsors the future of online tv is here view exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else visit voiceamerica.tv today Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever listened to an online radio show that changed your life? I'm required to say that I have. Have you ever stopped listening to an online radio show because the commercials were mind-numbingly repetitive? Of course you haven't because you're here right now. Look, you don't have to listen to me anymore. There's a commercial-free version of this show, and it only costs $10 a month. And for $15 a month, you get no commercials plus bonus content. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE, subscribe now, and be free. You're worth it. From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Our guest today on The Soul of Enterprise is John Murillo, author of the book, The Automatic Customer, Creating a Subscription Business in Any Industry, published in 2015. Ron and I both highly recommend that book, and, and it's been on our hit list for quite some time. John, I want to, to stay on the theme that Ron has been talking to you about, and that is the, the nine subscription models. And when you were developing the book, what was the process for, for limiting it to nine to, to get to the point where you had, okay, there is something discrete about each of these um, that makes sense in your mind? In my mind, and it, it, it may make sense in my mind and nobody else's, but what I, what I was trying to do was, was base it on what the customer benefit 
is, as opposed to what the business model is. And, you know, if you take, for example, one of the nine subscription models is something called the simplifier model, where it basically just says, look, if you're selling to your customer on a transaction, maybe you're charging by the hour or you're charging by the project, stop to think for a moment if it wouldn't be easier for your customer, let alone you, but for your customer, if you charge them on a regular cadence. I'll give you a silly little example. My, uh, my son plays guitar. And so we have a teacher, he, he learns from once a week. And we used to have a former teacher that he, and notice the word former, that he used to play with because my wife and I would get in these arguments about who's going to pay the guitar teacher because he would inevitably come on a Thursday afternoon and we'd be rushing around getting ready to work and someone, oh, the guitar teacher's coming today. Uh, who's got money to pay the guitar teacher? Because he only accepted cash. And I think it was like 40 bucks or something like that. And like, none of us carry cash anymore, right? So my <laughs> wife and I would be running around saying, where do we get the money? Like going through the, the, the sock drawer to find the change. It was you know, <laughs> ridiculous. And, and then <laughs> finally, I just, I just, you know, kind of said like, wouldn't it be easier if you just charged us once a month and we'll let you know if we want you to stop? <laughs> like, but that's what I mean by the simplifier subscription model. In, it will be way better for you as a business. Clearly, there's lots of benefits. We've already talked about some of those economic benefits. But for a moment, think about your customer and how much easier it is for them than to have to sit through you know, your legal bill and say, well, is it 1.36 hours? <laughs> was it, did, what was the email you were responding to? That, was that really, did that really take you 12 minutes? Like, I mean, it's so much better to have for the customer a regular kind of relationship that they kind of know what the rent ground rules are. And for that, most of us would pay a little bit of a premium. One of the things I've heard you talk about is, is and, and I love this analogy, I love this, this mindset to get into, rather than try to think about a way to give somebody a 10% discount for coming on board a subscription, what can you do to do something so that it's a 10x better then? Uh, so talk a little bit about that. I think that is a great way to think about things. Well, it comes from a lot of people, again, start to think about the subscription model and say, okay, well, it, you know, if, if it costs me, if the, if the guy's going to use a $10 product five times over a year, well, that's $50. Maybe I'll get him to subscribe for $40. And so I'm gonna, he's going to save 10 or 20%. And, and that doesn't do it because think about your own behavior as a consumer. You would prefer freedom of choice than necessarily locking into some sort of subscription offering. So what you've got to think about is 10X. Like when we subscribe to Netflix for whatever it is, nine bucks a month or 10 bucks a month now, I can't remember, or HBO Crave or whatever you know, streaming service. I mean, it's kind of mind-blowing how much content you get, right? You can never consume all that. And relative to a $200 cable package, it seems like almost impossible. Like, what's the model here? What's the catch? It's, it can't. That's a 10x model, and that's the experience that you should have. I'll give you another example in, a, in another sort of very old school industry. Right now, the car wash industry is in this very disruptive transformation from the old model, transactional, to the subscription model. And in the transactional world, your business model was defined by your location, right? You had a good location, you had a great car wash. Well. Nowadays, we've, the, most of the car washes are moving to subscription where you have an all-you-can-eat subscription model, meaning you can wash your car as many times as you want, just pay us 30 bucks a month. And, and the, the, the most 
challenging thing for transactional business model. Most of these car dealership owners are clinging to their old you know, way of thinking about their business. And they were like, well, we can't possibly let everybody come in for free. It costs <laughs> us like a dollar for someone to go through the car wash and hot water and soap. So we can't like, what if they come 10 times, right? <laughs> it's, it's missing the, the kind of key insight that people have better things to do, frankly, than go wash their car every day, right? <laughs> or go to their so, lawyer or their accountant. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But when you want a clean car, it's nice to know that you can just drift in and you've got a special lane that you can sort of, you know, uh, go through faster and you don't have to go into the thing and pay. It's just a very clean process. And so people pay and these companies are being transformed and the valuation is going through the roof. So right now there's a huge private equity play where they're buying up all of the you know the the transactional car washes moving them to subscription and of course the valuation is going through the roof because of what we talked about before the break just the valuation of these companies that are on subscription are just a multiple more than the transaction business model and and probably people would would use the car wash more but that's okay that it's, it's really or, or like if i paid 30 dollars a month for a car wash i would more likely use it than, yeah. than, than not, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah. What you're trying to do in the car wash model is get them to use the car wash in their first month, like every single day, right? Go every day. Enjoy, relish in the fact that your car is beautiful. <laughs> you could look at yourself and you could shave in the mirror. It's perfect, <laughs> right? And what that's doing is betting in the wires of the consumer's mind that this is the most incredible value I've ever had. I've done 30 of these washes. Well, clearly over time, their consumption will drift, but their adoption of the product and their perception that the subscription is valuable goes through the roof. And therefore, their longevity as a subscriber and their lifetime value. So as counterintuitive as it is, you actually want them to use it a lot in the first month. After time, they're going to drift off. But if they get great value in the first month, they're going to stay, stay much longer than if they just bet in in a, in a regular way using it once a month as an example. Off the top of your head of the, the nine models that you talk about in the book, have you seen any new ones emerge that made you say, ah, there, were, there was one I missed. I really need to include that if I ever do version two of the book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, clearly... Uh, a, a lot of information is now being sold in a subscription model. And, and, and one of the nine that I talk about is the membership model where you take some IP, some deep subject matter expertise that you have, and you provide it to subscribers. Um, and I think there's been some innovative plays in that area. And, and I think that's an area that's emerging. I'm reminded of a, a guy named Dan Taylor, actually a lawyer who was a divorce attorney. And uh, he since unfortunately passed away, but he, he was a, a great mentor of mine. And he was very burnt out one day from just dealing with people at their worst days, right? Their divorce, their <laughs> parents and horrible, horrible <laughs> situations. And of course, whenever you get, people get lawyered up in a divorce case, right? It's a very acrimonious relationship. And he said, you know, it doesn't have to be this way. In fact, his approach was instead of being the attack dog in, you know, the legal context, he said, I'm just going to do this in a much more conciliatory way. I'm going to try to mediate an approach. Well, he developed an entire approach and style to mediating a divorce. And he realized that, you know, there'd probably be other people that might value this. He thought he was changing the lives of his clients, making divorce a much more agreeable process to the extent that it can be. 
And he realized there'd be other people out there that would value this. And so he put together his IP. He called it the Divorce Mediation Toolkit. And he gave it and then sold it to other divorce attorneys on a subscription model. So they could enjoy his content, his model, his, his, his IP, um, and he got the benefit of the recurring revenue. And so it's an, it's, a, it's, a, it's an example of taking something that you have a deep subject matter expertise on, in this case, mediating a divorce, and putting it on a subscription model. Another great example of what you called earlier, uh, niching down. That's that's a that's a, a great great example of that too. Love it. Um, I got to. Whereas I, I think I think most lawyers sort of interrupt it. Most lawyers would say, "Oh yeah, well that would I would I could never create a subscription model because to, for divorce different, right? Or for <laughs> different, or you know each legal. You know I've got divorce one day. I've got you know legal battles, commercial yeah. real estate. You couldn't do it. And again. To, to the earlier point that the, the objective should be let's niche down all the way to a single <laughs> customer who has a reason to buy from you. And that's where the kernel or the, the bud of your uh, subscription company often lies. So question that I have for you, uh, you probably are aware of Teenso, the, the head CEO of Zora. Um, and yep. he, his book subscribed. Um, his newsletter is fantastic. And one another, one, another one of the sources that Ron and I go to, he has been begging Apple to get into the subscription business for their products. You know, they, they're, they're right now, I think about 70% of their service of their revenue is subscription services. A lot of people don't realize that, but he's been begging them to do this from their product perspective. Any, any idea on your part, why do you think Apple's hesitant to get into the subscription for their products? <laughs> Interesting. Well, you know, I, I don't know the answer. It, it yeah. may be too expensive for them in the sense that you obviously are going to want the latest whiz bang technology, and part of the own technology, you know, marketing is to is to get people to upgrade, right? To get people to buy the new desktop, the new laptop, the new iPad, or whatever. And so that becomes very, very hard uh, to walk away from. In particular, your stock. Uh, holders are going to be, you know, very accustomed to, you know, oh, the new Apple Watch is coming out, so there's going to be a huge uptick in Q4 of that, and and to move away from that may be very, you know, disruptive. And that's one of the things that I think a new business or a new professional services firm coming onto the scene has a tremendous advantage because they don't have all those legacy infrastructure, you know, business model hangups. You know, like GNC, uh, the guys who do, you know, uh, Supplements, um, mm-hmm. you know, when they moved to a subscription model, they couldn't really make it work because they had the infrastructure of all the stores, and they had store managers that were incentivized by same store sales and selling protein powder, etc. As opposed to getting people to buy a GNC subscription to protein powder, and so anyone with a legacy business, in particular with dealers or distribution channels it becomes so much harder to switch to subscription. Whereas a startup business has the benefit of, of going subscription from, the, from day one. And I think that gives them a big advantage. Outstanding. All right. Well, up against our last break, want to remind you folks that you can contact Ron or me by sending that email to asktsoe at verisage.com. Please remember to go to ratethispodcast.com slash TSOE. And guess what you do there? rate this podcast. That's what we'd love for you to do and send in those ratings. We also read all of our our reviews on air. So please be sure to make sure that you send us a review as well. But right now, a word from our sponsor, who's also happens to be my employer, Sage. 
follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever been so annoyed by a commercial for a $5 ebook that you were willing to pay $10 to never hear it again? I sure have. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. Over the last several years, you've come to hate me, and I hate me too. By now, you know that for $5, you can get a copy of Ron and Ed's book. What you might not know is, for twice that much every month for forever, you can stop hearing me plug Ron and Ed's book, which totally makes sense, like the Diamond Water Paradox. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe today. Please, for the love of God, make it stop! When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. tuned into the soul of enterprise with ron baker and ed class to find out more about our show visit us on the web at the soul of you can also chat with us on twitter using hashtag ask tsoe now back to the soul of enterprise welcome back everybody we're here with john warlow and john i want to stay on this uh on the professional firm and ask you this, talk me off the ledge on this, because a lot of people say, well, for a law firm or a CPA firm, we have these, sometimes we get into these big projects, they're black holes, they're, they're not common, they don't come up all the time. So we, we couldn't possibly put that on subscription. Now, I don't buy that, but I know that you profiled that hassle-free home services business that uh, will carve out a one-time you know project build my deck or remodel my bathroom and they don't they they do charge those as one-offs is it possible to run a hybrid business model that is some partly transactional and partly subscription because that's where i get hung up because i think these are such different mindsets that the two don't play well together they don't play well. And I, I think it is very hard to run simultaneously. And, and I learned this the, the way, the hard way. I, I used to run a transactional quantitative market research company. So we were a professional services company. We worked on a project basis. And I got to look at models like Thomson Reuters and Bloomberg and thought, wow, what if we took our research and put it on subscription? And I wanted to have my cake and eat it too. I wanted to have both the transaction model and the subscription model. So I'd go to my clients and say, hey, you know, you've been doing all these projects with us. Would you consider buying a subscription? And they would ask, you know, some basically superficial questions. And they would say, John, really happy to know about your subscription. But what we really want is for you to do this project for us. And it would be a custom project. And so after a year of flogging this subscription, I couldn't get anybody to buy it. I had like five clients buy it. And my goal was sort of 50. And so I turned it off. And I put my tail between my legs and I went back to the transactional business model, back on the hamster wheel, the treadmill to nowhere. 
And, and, and I started to kind of lick my wounds and started to reflect on what I had done wrong. And what I realized is I had given my customers a choice. This goes back to your point, Ron, about the ultimatum. And so I, I kind of worked up the courage and I said, I don't want to run this company anymore. And if that means I have to shut it down, I'm going to do that because this is going, getting me nowhere. I'm not building any value. I'm not building anything beyond the, the, the day-to-day you know, uh, turnover of the company. And so the second time I went in, I went back to the same customers and said, listen, we're, we built this subscription model. We thought it really carefully and we think that we can add the most value to our customers doing this. And we're not going to do business with you anymore in the old way. And making that ultimatum caused customers to sort of change their body language. They, they kind of you know, perked up on the edge of their chair and said, okay, tell me a little bit more about the subscription. How much does it cost? How many interviews are you doing? How do I get access to it? How many of my users can? They started to really get into and ask really serious questions about buying. Long story short, we moved almost all of our customers over to the subscription model. The company two years later was acquired by a public company, which you now know is a New York Stock Exchange listed company called Gartner Group, which is mm. you know, like a big uh, you know, research house. Research, yeah. Long story short, we would have never had that outcome had we not gone all in and gave our customers an ultimatum. Now that's strong cheese, right? Like that's it for is. a lot of it people, is. that's that's off-putting. Uh, but I believe uh, that, that, that for, re- if, for to really take hold, you've got to turn off the transaction piece of your business. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't agree more. And uh, people are fighting about that with, with us. And, and I just, I, I'm with you on that. Because I, I don't know if you've read um, No Rules Rule by Reed Hastings of Netflix, but it just seems like this model does so many great things. It, it, first off, it puts a relationship at the center, but it blows up silos and it blows up bureaucracy. I mean, everything revolves around the customer at Netflix. And I, I learned this from the book. They don't have individual KPIs. You can do that in a subscription model. There is no way you can do that in a transactional model. No. And the other thing is that the owner or the partner in a professional services firm is the one that is beholden to the customer, right? The customer has them and they have crappy vacations. They work all hours of the day and night because the customer demands it. And there's a guy named Darren Root who's an accounting firm and he lived this the hard way. He had a bunch of different customers doing a bunch of different services, everything from consulting to audits. And he said, hold on a second, maybe I can transition this. And he, and he realized that his customers valued their ongoing services like bank reconciliation, credit card statements, payroll. And so he bundled them up and he called it BOSS. It was called the back office support system. And it basically enabled his customers not to have to hire an office manager. And it was incredibly valuable service, but it was also teachable to his employees. And so it didn't need Darren anymore. He turned off much, much of the traditional accounting offerings and went all in the boss system. And so it is possible. It takes, a, I think, a pretty big, bold departure in the headspace of a professional services provider, uh, but I think it is possible. Yeah. You know, you talked about multiples of earnings uh, being the sales price. Uh, and I was just wondering, in the professional space, do you have any experience on what, you know, most accounting firms, for example, go for one times gross. I think if they're subscription, they'd go for a higher multiple. Do you have any evidence to support that claim? Absolutely. Absolutely. I just did an interview with a guy named Greg Alexander who built Sales Benchmark Index, which was a sales consultancy. 
And Greg grew up in the business, uh, built it up to $30 million of annual revenue, and, and much of it benchmarking the data that I, re- I referenced earlier. Well, after he uh, went to sell the company, he was flabbergasted to realize that his highest offer was $162 million for a $30 million consultancy. In other words, more than five times top line revenue. Now, that's not going to be the outcome for every professional services company, but it does demonstrate some of the things we've been talking about today that professional services firms can sell for much, much higher multiples than just the traditional one-times revenue if they're incorporating some of the things we've talked about, customer lifetime value, focusing on churn, focusing on, on onboarding that first 30 days of a subscription relationship. You can jack up the value of your company pretty dramatically. They just got to get over that all-you-can-eat fear, like the car wash owners. Well, what if they come in a million times in a month? They're not going to do that. And They've got better things to do with their time. (laughs) And and like you said, and it was a great point, if they did come in that much, it just shows you how much they value your service. It's going to diminish over time, but the value is going to stay there. Really, really excellent. Um, Another another question I have for you is, and we talked a bit, bit about this during the break, but why do you think companies like Audi and BMW have canceled their automobile subscriptions? Yeah, it really, I think, comes down to the infrastructure they have, and they're trying to have it both ways. So you've got, in the case of most of the car companies, they've got this embedded dealership model where they've sold a franchise or they've sold a dealership to an organization. And every time they try to forge a direct consumer relationship with the customer, they hear it from their dealer network. So on one hand, they're trying to push cars through the dealer network, trying to get the, their dealers to, 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 to buy more cars. Yet every time they have any sort of foray into a direct relationship, they, they undermine uh, that relationship. So it's, it's, it's one of the reasons I think Tesla is so far ahead in terms of the car wars. It's because they have been able to forge from scratch a different business model. They don't have dealers. They have stores, they're company-owned, et cetera. And uh, it's, it's really allowed them to, 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 to jump ahead of the traditional uh, car makers. They have that one-on-one relationship, just like Harry's Razor Direct you know, Dollar Shave Club or what. I mean, that direct-to-consumer is really powerful. Yeah, it's one of the great benefits. You know, you started this interview off with, so why are customers uh, or, or subscribers better than customers? And that's another reason that subscribers have a direct relationship. And if you sell through a channel, you're always wondering, what do my customers really think? And what could I really sell my... Well, when you're selling directly to a subscriber, you have, you have their email address, you have their billing information, you have their permission to communicate with them. It allows you to forge a much richer relationship than a transactional, certainly a transactional through a distribution channel. It's a, it's a, it's a very powerful business model. Any new subscription businesses come online that have impressed you or that you've raised an eyebrow? We've got about a half sec, a half minute. Well, you mentioned Porsche in the, in the break. And, and actually, admittedly, I don't know anything about the Porsche Drive program, but I've just heard you know, notionally about it. But it sounds cool. You can swap out cars and tell me more about that. Yeah, well, Brunswick, as Brent is doing a subscription model with boats. So, and that, and Rome is doing, you know, housing around the world. You can live in a house on a subscription basis. So, well, John, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much. We, we, big fans of the book. We recommend it all the time. It's, it's all over the place when we talk about this model. So, really honored to have you on. And Ed, what's on store for next week? 
Next week, Ron, we have author, columnist, and keynote speaker and small business expert, Gene Marks. All right. Looking forward to it. I'll see you in 167 hours. Thanks, guys. This has been the Soul of Enterprise, business and the knowledge economy. Sponsored by Sage, transforming the way people think and work so their organizations can thrive. Join us next week on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern. That's 1 p.m. Pacific. But in the meantime, please feel free to visit us at www.thesoulofenterprise.com. 